Good morning, everybody. It's always wonderful to be back together, uh, worshiping God in song and in word. And uh, it's great for us just to be together. And so thank you uh, for being here this morning. It's, uh, it's a blessing. And so uh, this morning, we're continuing our series, uh, working through the, the book of Ephesians. Uh, and, and as I was preparing this, I, I, I couldn't help but uh, think through uh, this, this letter that Paul wrote uh, and, and started noticing the, the things that Paul is recognized for. And it made me think about the things that the people in my life are recognized for. And have you ever noticed that, that the people around you in your life, the people that you get to know, you might know many things about them, but they're, they're generally known for a certain thing. It might be a couple of things, but you can always think of, oh, this guy that does this. Um, and sometimes, like I said, it's multiple things. Um, but there's always at least one core thing that stands out about who that person is. At my other job at, at Herald Office Solutions, I'm pretty sure that I'm known as the guy that makes dad jokes all the time. Because that's what I do. I just make really lame puns and jokes at work all day. Because uh, when you're sitting in an office environment, you've got to do something to keep from going crazy. Uh, but then I started thinking there's, there's always like the, the, uh, the people that you know, are always advertising or pushing their, their LuLaRoe or essential oils or whatever uh, kind of MLM is, is really being pushed at the moment or uh, uh, whatever diet trend is popular this year, you know that they're going to be hammering you that, oh, well, this year I'm doing, I'm doing uh, the keto because last year I did the paleo and the year before that. I, it, but you know that whatever uh, trend is popular that year that they're going to be on that train. Well, those are the superficial things. I'm not even talking about those. I'm talking about when you know somebody so well that you know that this person, if you were to confide a deep secret in them, that your secret stays with them. That this person is a trusted friend that you can bring your, the darkness of your soul to. Or then again, there's that person you know that if you bring something to them, it's going to get known by everyone in your circles and then some. Or there's the, uh, the, the friend that you've had for years that you might not have talked to in a while, but you know that when you reach out to them, you're going to pick right up just where you left off. And it's almost like that, that time gap never even happened. These are the things that come, often come into your mind when you think about these people that are part of your life. Several weeks ago, uh, Isaac actually got his report card from school and, uh, you know, being a, a, the proud father there, you know, it talked about him making good grades and that he's a great reader and all that stuff. And that's all good. But what really stood out to me was what his teacher said about the fact that he is kind, that he is helpful, and that he's a good friend to the other students in his class. And, and the, the grades, don't get me wrong, grades are, are good, they're important. But I was so proud of him because his teacher recognized his character. And I told him that while I want him to excel in school, to to do well in, in, in his academic learning and all of that, I'm most proud of the way that he carries himself and the character that just exudes out of him. And and. 
that he's so full of those things. He has such a tender and compassionate heart that that's what flows out of him. And you and I are no different. It might not be the, the characteristics of, of kindness or helpfulness, but we all have our surface level interests and defense mechanisms and things like that. But your character is what shines through when you think that nobody is watching. When you're all alone and there's no one else around, your character is who you are in that moment. The way that you treat people when you think that no one is watching you, that is what your character reveals about you. And we look at this passage in Ephesians chapter 3, and we see this example from Paul and From what he's writing, he's showing that the Christian life should be full of prayer. Just as as Isaac's tender little first grade heart is full of kindness towards people, he hasn't become bitter and jaded towards school yet, but uh, that, that kindness just exudes and flows out of him because that's what he's full of. And Paul is saying that for the Christian, Christian, your life should be so full of prayer that when people, when you think that people aren't even watching you, that that is what they see, that is what they notice. And I know that just a, a, a month, and, month and a half ago, the month of January, we did a month-long series on prayer. And you might be thinking, wow, we're going back to prayer already. But this is the issue that when we walk through Scripture exegetically, that sometimes topics get repeated. It, it just happens because that's the way that Scripture presents itself. But also I think it's a, it's a good thing because honestly we need to be reminded. We have a, a, a short attention span far too often to the things that are really important for our own good. And I don't know about you, but I cannot hear enough about how God's Word affects my prayer life and how God wants me to communicate with Him and He wants to communicate with me. I cannot be reminded of that enough. And if you're anything like me, you need that too. You need the Scripture to remind you the importance of being full of prayer. And so to... to, Today, we examine how the Christian's life should be full of prayer. First, in verses 14 through 16, that it should be a prayer that is full of compassion. Secondly, in verses 17 through 19, it should be a prayer that is full of Christ. And lastly, in verses 20 and 21, that it should be a prayer that is full of confidence. And before we go any further... Let us now approach the throne of God in prayer ourselves. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we can come together, that we can uh, sit in awe and thankfulness of who you are and your love for us, that we can sing these songs of adoration, that we can sit and, and receive your word. And God, I pray that right now that you would pour out your spirit in this place, that you would speak through me, God, that this sermon would not be a collection of, of my, my thoughts, that this would not be my agenda, 
but God, that you would use me to speak your gospel truth, that you would use your word to restore and refresh and to build your people, your church for your kingdom and your name. Be with us now. In the heavenly name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Now, for a quick recap of Ephesians, uh, this is actually a letter written by Paul to the church in Ephesus. And it's not just any church, it's the church, capital C. This is a letter that's, going, that's written to churches in Ephesus that's going to be passed around so that churches can be encouraged by these words from Paul. And at the moment, he's actually on house arrest. He's confined to his home, and this is shortly before uh, he will be uh, uh, martyred. But he's writing this letter to encourage the church, capital C, on the, the accomplished work of Christ and what the work of Christ means toward Christian unity and Christian conduct in home and in the world around. And in fact, chapter 2 ends discussing how the work of Christ makes all believers citizens of God's kingdom. That regardless of where you have come from, that we are all now one in God's kingdom. And Paul tends to be a little long-winded. I believe last week I referenced how pretty much the entire first chapter was one, one long run-on sentence because that's the way he, he writes like he thinks and he speaks. He's very long-winded. In fact, I, in one of Peter's letters, he references how Paul is difficult to understand. It, that's just the way that Paul writes and speaks. And so what we looked at last week in verses 1 through 13, Paul actually kind of got himself on a, a sidetrack. He was so excited about what he was talking about of the mystery of the gospel being revealed that this morning, he's actually getting back to what he was trying to reference at the end of chapter 2. When he says, for this reason, in verse 14, he's referencing back to how the gospel and the work of Christ has made all people citizens of God's kingdom and that God is building His people up to dwell in His people. And at the beginning of chapter 3, Paul says, for this reason, and then kind of goes off on a side trail. And then again in verse 14, he's saying, for this reason, he's going back. For this reason, what God has done, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. This is where we see Paul modeling the example that prayer is full of of compassion because his prayers are for the people his prayers are for the church capital C remember he's on house arrest at this point and his prayers easily could have been uh, uh, that his prayers would be for other people to pray for him that he would be released from these chains that he would be released from house arrest so he could go out and preach the gospel because it's easy to make our prayer requests for ourselves sound so beneficial when we throw you know, God's work in God's kingdom. Well, pray for me so that way I can do this. But Paul's prayers are not for himself. God's prayers are for the rest of the church. His prayers are for these people that he loves. I know so often when I have conflict and hardship in my own life, 
my natural instinct is I want to pray it away. I want it to be gone. I want the, the, the mountains that I have to climb, the, the thorns that are tearing at me, I want those gone. And far too often my prayers are for my own comfort. And Paul is not praying that way. Paul actually says that when I think about you, I get on my knees and pray. And it's hard for me. It's a struggle. But I want to be that way. I want my prayer life before the throne of God to be so enamored with God's work and His kingdom that when I think about the people that God has put in my life, that my natural inclination would be to drop to my knees and to pray for them. And honestly, it's a little maybe embarrassing or painful to admit that that's not my natural inclination, but I want it to be. I want to pray like Paul does, to be so in love with God's work and his kingdom that I cannot help but be on my knees to pray for the church, capital C. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Paul is submitting his prayers to the sovereign Lord over heaven and earth. This is a repeated theme not just through, through Scripture itself, but you see it a lot in Paul's prayers that when he's talking about the authority of God, he's talking about how he rules over all things on earth and in heaven. And sometimes even in, phrases it uh, in heaven and on earth and things under the earth that there is nothing in creation that is outside of God's authority and control. But he doesn't just rest and referring to all things that are in creation, but he says that all things that God has named. Every family and in heaven and on earth is named by this sovereign Lord because names have power. And in certain contexts, a person's name has authority, especially authority over that person. When I was growing up, my mom didn't often get upset. She was one of those hippies that never fully grew up. And I could go off on stories about that for days. But even though my mom did not get upset often, I knew that whenever she said, Thomas Christopher Watson, oh, I just got middle named, I'm in trouble, I've got to stop what I'm doing and listen right then. Because there's something about a person's name that has authority. And I had better listen to the woman that named me. And Paul is saying that every family in heaven and on earth has been named by the sovereign Lord. The same God that in Genesis 17 says to Abram, I'm changing your name to Abraham because you are going to be the father of many nations. The same God that in Genesis 32 says to Jacob, I'm changing your name to Israel because you have strived with God for the, after Jacob wrestled with God for it, that you have strived with God and endured. And we see this theme continued in Jesus 
that in John chapter 1, when he approaches Simon, or as we know, Simon Peter, he says, Simon, your name will be Cephas, or Peter, and this is the rock on which I will build my church. God alone has the authority to not just name, but to rename His people as He sees fit. This God who has named all of creation and has all of creation under His authority, this is the one that Paul prays to. And in verse 16, we see exactly why Paul is on his knees before this God. That according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. His prayers are not for the comfort of the church. He's not praying that, I'm praying that, you'll, you know, that you're going to have your, your friend Sunday and that you can double your numbers at your church. He's not praying that, well, I, I just hope that all these conflicts in your life go away. He's praying that they will be strengthened by the Spirit that God has provided. He's praying for their strength. He's praying for their growth spiritually, not necessarily numerically. He's praying that they would see God more beautifully, that they would see His gospel and His kingdom in a more majestic way than they have already. And so I have to ask, what about you? In your own prayer life, how often are you actively praying for others? And I'm not talking about the simple, well, please help Aunt Sally get over her cold just for the, 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 the surface level uh, alleviation of, of temporary ailments. But how often are you praying for the growth and the strength of the people around you, for their lives to be impacted by the gospel and to see the, the, the kingdom more beautifully than ever before? Even in our own church, are you, praying, are you praying that the killing becks would see the gospel more beautifully? Are you praying that the, the Holomans would have strength and endurance in the kingdom work that they will experience this week? Are you praying for your neighbor or your coworker or your classmate that they would repent of their sin and turn their lives to Christ, to the gospel? How often are you actively and passionately praying for the other people in your life? Because that is what fueled Paul's prayer, was his compassion for, for not just the church, but for these people. He loved these people, and that brought him to his knees before a sovereign God to pray that he would fill them with his strength. And we, saw, and we see that Paul's prayer full of compassion leads to prayer that is full of Christ. He's praying for the strength of these people and for the strength of this church, specifically in verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I've often heard people say or that they would pray, 
God, let it be like Jesus is right here in this room with us. And that sounds nice. But the, 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 the accomplished work of Christ, the, the gift of the Holy Spirit, is so much more powerful than having Christ next to you because it, it, it opens up the opportunity for Christ to dwell in you. That you are no longer just in the presence of Christ, but that, that Christ is in your very heart and soul and being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That they would know the the vast expanses. That creation itself is not large enough to hold the the amount of the love of Christ. And not that they would see the, the, the vast expanse of this love, but that they would know it. In John chapter 15, Jesus himself says, starting in verse 9, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone should lay down his life for his friends. The love of Christ is a sacrificial love. It's not a a love of comfort. It's not a love of convenience that I'm going to love this person whenever it suits me best or when it's on my terms. The love of Christ requires giving up of your own rights and giving up of your own self. It's a love that is modeled by a holy God, a holy Father that sent His holy Son to redeem an unholy people. That this Son of God is God in the flesh. That He loved by serving and teaching. That He loved by being with the unlovable. That He loved by being with the rejects and the outcast. That He loved by taking your sins with Him on the cross. That He died and rose again three days later and He said, I'm coming back for you. That's the kind of love of Christ that Paul is referencing here. And so, when you pray... Do you take the time to acknowledge the love of Christ in your prayer life? Do you acknowledge the love that Christ has shown to you? That you yourself were once unlovable. That you were the outcast and the reject. That you were an enemy of God and Christ said, I love you.
And that because of that love that God has shown to you, does that affect your prayer for other people? Not just, I really wish Susie would get over herself. Or I wish Billy would just find another job because I'm tired of dealing with him here. But that in your prayer life for other people that you would see that you were the unlovable that has been loved and that that would cause you to love the unlovable themselves. That in your prayer life that the love of Christ would so drive you that you cannot help but love others through your prayers. It's not easy. I'd be lying if, if, if I said that it was. But you were the unloved. And we're called to share that love. Strengthened and rooted in the love of Christ. Not out of your own strength and ability. Not out of your own compassion. But because of the compassion that was given to you. A prayer life that is full of Christ says that God loves these people so I'm going to love them too. How does that shape the way that you pray for your neighbors? How does that shape the way that you pray for your, your co-workers or your classmates? This past week, just a couple of days ago, there was a horrible massacre in Christchurch, New Zealand where someone very similar to what happened here in Charleston several years ago, just went into a mosque and opened fire. And I'm not saying that we have to believe the Muslim values, but I am saying that those people are made in the image of God and that they are worthy of hearing the love of the Gospel and that we should have compassion and love for them because they are made and loved by God as well. How do, we, how do we pray here in North Charleston, South Carolina? How do we pray for broken hearts in New Zealand? How do we pray for a nation, our own nation, that is constantly bickering and fighting with each other more than actually doing good for one another? How does the love of Christ affect how you pray for others? Lastly, the prayers of the Christian are not just filled with compassion and filled with Christ, but that the prayers of the Christian should be filled with confidence. Lately, Amy and I have been uh, having discussions about, uh, there's an author by the name of Rachel Hollis. I don't know if you're familiar with her or not. Uh, She's had these books uh, titled, Girl, Wash Your Face, and girls stop apologizing, and they're they're really popular. Uh, I think they're like top seller, like New York bestsellers list right now. It's in the the top sellers at Target and all of that. And they're not bad books, but I will say that they're dangerous books because even though Hollis is a professing Christian, her books are self help books. And they're scattered with just enough Scripture to make it seem biblical. But instead of her point reinforcing Scripture, she's using Scripture to reinforce her point. And her point is that you are enough. 
that you are good enough, that you are strong enough, and that you are capable of doing anything that you set your mind to. And that is a dangerous philosophy. Because if you look at what Scripture says, it's that you are not enough. This is not the confidence that Paul tells us about because Scripture says that you are not enough, but the good news is is that God is more than enough. You are not strong enough or capable enough in your own life, but that this God that we serve is more than strong. He is more than capable and more than compassionate to redeem where you are broken. In verse 20, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. That for the Christian, your confidence is not found in your ability to do enough or to be good enough or to work hard enough to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. But for the Christian, your confidence comes in a God who is more than enough. Your confidence comes from a God who has already done enough for you on your behalf. One of my favorite quotes from uh, author C.S. Lewis says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. It seems that according to Lewis, it's not that your prayers are too big. It's that your prayers are too small. Do you really trust that this God that we serve, that we pray to, that we're here this morning to to worship and learn about, do you truly believe that He is more than Abel? Do you believe that He is greater than you could ever imagine? The author of Hebrews writes about how Christ is greater than any high priest. Because unlike a high priest, Christ is God in the flesh who intercedes on behalf of His people. And he writes in Hebrews chapter 4, starting in verse 14, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That your confidence comes not from what you can do for God, but what Jesus has already done on your behalf. 
You're invited to come with confidence to the throne of God. This God who is greater than you can ever imagine. This God who is already at work within you. Not because you've done anything to earn it, but simply because God says, you are mine. I have loved you and I call you child. Will you pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ for their strength? Will you pray for a broken world to truly see the glory and redemption of Christ alone? And will you be known as a person whose prayers are filled with compassion and filled with Christ and filled with confidence? Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we admit and we confess that far too often our prayers are just small. That we're so used to trusting in our own strength and our own ability that we are afraid to come before your throne. That we're afraid to bring our fears and our hopes and our dreams. But God, your word reminds us that you are more than able. That you are greater, far greater than we could ever hope for or ever imagine. And that God, that in your love for us, in your unrelenting love and compassion for us, our only response is to say thank you and to share that love with a broken world around us. And so, God, we confess and we ask for your strength because it's not natural for us to do that. We want to believe. Help us in our unbelief. Use us for your name. Use us for your kingdom. And fill us with your compassion to bear the name of Christ and to walk confidently in prayer. We pray this in the victorious name of Jesus. Amen.